Godspeed, Wags. You'll be in my prayers right. during that webinar. Um, yeah, so ba so basically, anybody just tuning in, the story is Wags was dry humped by Greg Olson. So that's all you need to know at this point. Yeah, Rodney, what's going on? You heard it here first. Jeff, how we doing, man? Um, I, I got to tell you, dude, first thing I want I want to ask you, I mean, because back in our time, back when you and I were, um, you know, high school studs, you know, you played some offensive line, defensive line, whatever. I did the same, you know, in the small towns. I was in Lockhart. You were in that place that you prefer not to mention. But um, so. so I was in, I was in Florence, Florence, Texas, America. There it is, Florence, Texas, America. Lockhart, Gerald's ass like they stole something. There it is right there. Two small town dudes right here. Jeff, Jared Huffer. Uh, we played <laughs> offensive line. This dude right here coming out, I mean, it, it's one thing, bulletin board material. It's one thing to go ahead and uh, be, you know, have some confidence going in here. Dude, does he realize who he is going to be going up against this weekend? I, Okay. As an offensive lineman, you're kind of always taught, just keep your mouth shut, do your job. It's pretty much what you're told. Mm -hmm. um, turns out, you know, when you cover a college beat, and even I've heard this from guys that cover the NFL, you know, offensive linemen are usually the best interviews. Probably it's because of years of pent up, you know, being told to shut your mouth and be quiet. Hey, now I got something to say. Um, I find it comical to think that Texas, quote unquote, doesn't know. Bruce, uh, good morning. How are you? Uh, I find it comical, Longhorn Bear, also, Sal in, in NYC, uh, CB will be on here in a minute. Uh, Jake, also see you, so good. Shout out to everybody. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in, too. It's only an hour. It's only an hour. We'll be, be off, out of here at noon. Uh, but I find it comical, Rodney, that this is a Texas team that went to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and won a football game <laughs> earlier this year, but all of a sudden doesn't know what's waiting for them in Ames, Iowa. Like, no. a lot of guys... For a lot of this Texas team, I think it's returning to the scene of the crime when you think about the last time Texas was in Ames. You know, that was yep. the Bo Davis you know, bus rant. Uh, Texas, that's the worst loss Texas has suffered in the Steve Sarkeesian era. So a lot of forgettable things happened the last time they were in Ames. Um, yeah, if I'm looking up and down the Texas roster, Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy don't need much to get no. them going. <laughs> no. Uh, but for those guys to, in a roundabout way, be called out, I, I, I guess go with God, young man, and, and good on you for having some confidence. I love trash talk. I think it's great. I, I wish college guys would do it more. And I can tell you this, Rodney, from having covered a college team as long as I have, having been on a college beat, guys are most likely, they don't really want to say a whole lot because guys are so reserved. Yeah. That whenever they do say something remotely controversial, we all have to run with it because it's like we, we don't hear stuff like that. I think guys are just allowed to be open more often and, and open themselves up. Then I don't think this stuff would be as big of a story. But I, I've, I again, I find it comical to think that this Texas team is going to be not prepared to go to Ames and play a football game, number one. Number two, if I'm going to piss off any position group on this Texas roster, the defensive line is the last group. I yep. want to piss off. And no matter – oh, Kieran's in the chat. No, nice. Good to see you. Yeah, Buddy was talking crazy. Um, and at the end of the day, the fact that now Texas has something to play for other than just, hey, let's win a football game and you know, keep the des our destiny in our own hands for getting to Arlington, 
that is that was not a wise move, Rodney, and I don't no. anticipate it going very no. well for Jared. No, it's it's one of those things where you, where you go in there and you poke the bear and you get ready to get your ass kicked. If you've been under a rock, in case you uh, haven't heard what we're talking about, uh, let's take a quick one minute listen to uh, this topic of conversation. Definitely going to be one heck of a farewell present. You know, I think especially they're going to come in here on senior night in the dark. You know, I don't think they really know what is going to be coming for them. I think they'll have to come out and figure it out. But I think just uh, the cycling community names, you know, when it comes to night games, especially against Texas, you know, they've only, they've what well, we beat them four out of the last five times they've been here. So they don't have a good record here. Uh, we have a very distasteful in our mouth for them. You know, we definitely want to send them off the SEC with a, with a loss on our end. But, you know, it's going to be a good game. Tell us more about that distaste for them. Oh, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, ever since I got here, it was Iowa and Texas. That was kind of the thing. And, uh, you know, the horns down all the time and whatnot. But it's just, you know, that program, much like Oklahoma, you know, they get all the big five-star recruits. They have all the nicest stuff in the world. And they just they just think they're, uh, you know, they don't stink, uh, in layman's terms. But, uh, you know, they're just humans. And that's how I see them. You know, they're just people that have such a high ego that needs to be checked. Yeah. Because uh, you guys did a really good job of showing Oklahoma who was boss and handing Oklahoma a nice present on the way out when they, I watched them kick Iowa State's ass earlier this year. So, right. props to them, dude. I don't understand like the the hateful eight in general. And there are some members of the hateful eight that are not as bad. Like, I, I know plenty of Kansas fans that aren't. You know, they're not all that overly hostile toward Texas. Uh, you know, K State fans can be hit or miss, but like. And like Baylor and Tech, I get because they've been playing Texas for you know forever. I don't understand the vitriol Iowa State has toward Texas. Like you're lucky Texas and Oklahoma decided to keep this Mickey Mouse conference together as long as they did, just to allow you to have a home in the Power Five now that they've decided they want to do what's best for themselves and go off to the SEC. Now you've got a TV deal. You know, you're gonna be in a power five league. Uh, you know. Thank you, may I have another would be actually an appropriate going away present from Iowa State to Texas on the way out. But Texas didn't need anything to get them motivated. Rodney, when you're in a championship race, you don't need anything to get them to get yourself motivated. You shouldn't. But you want to put a little a little extra a little extra sauce on it, a little extra mustard on a hot dog, so to say, man, I, I would I would not want to be lining up across from Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy on Saturday. Oh my God, are you kidding me? These guys are going to be so fired up after listening to that. And you know that it's been played over and over for those guys and will continue to be. And, and look, Jeff, I, I get this a little more. You know, when you look at Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, yeah. I mean, yeah, t- take some shots right there because that's your rival. They're going off. You're not going to have bedlam for the foreseeable future. That's where you can go ahead and go in and do this right there. But but like Ohio, I mean, uh, Iowa State here with 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 Texas, uh, uh, like you're saying, I, I just don't quite understand it. You know, if, if this were a situation to where an in-state rival, a bitter rival or whatever, yes, they have had um, a better hand over Texas for for a little bit, yeah. but I still, I, I don't understand why you go in here and, and you, and like you said, Jeff, man, the, don't talk about the position group that this guy is, uh, is pointing out. That's suicide. The, the one guy who, who has to be pissed off right now, maybe more than anybody is probably Rocco Becht. 
if I'm Rocco yeah. Beck, I'm like, thanks, bro. Thanks for having my back on this one. Like, if you're a quarterback facing this Texas defense, you already got a target on your back anyway. Yeah. Now that target just got even bigger. So, you know, it, it's the actual football, Rodney, that's played between these two. We, you know, we've known it to be at least a series in, in recent years. We, we've known it's become a physical series. Yep. I mean, Matt Campbell's team, say what you want about Matt Campbell. And I, I think the biggest testament to Matt Campbell is the fact that this team, when you looked at him before the year and, you know, you lose Jairo Brock, uh, you lose Hunter Deckers. I thought, man, maybe, dude, are they going to, they'll be lucky to be bowl eligible. I, I thought they were going to be in that mix with what I assumed at the time would be West Virginia and Houston to be yep. the worst team in the conference. But they're, the fact that they're bowl eligible tells you the kind of football coach Matt Campbell is. And, and Iowa State's not a program where you should have a year-in, year-out bowl-caliber team. You, history just tells you you shouldn't. So I think Matt Campbell's a heck of a coach, and his teams do tend to get better throughout the year. Yeah. That said, you know, you can't tell me this Texas team is soft. You know, you can't you, you can't have, you know, Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy and Jalen Ford in your defensive front uh, and, and play, you know, have some of the guys you do on your offensive line and, and, and say this is a soft football team. So it's going to be a physical game. Uh, but yeah, if 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 I think anybody's more upset than anyone on the Texas roster, it's probably Rocco Beck right yeah, now, no doubt. And the one thing that I think about, you mentioned him while ago. I mean, we talked about the Bo Davis thing, you know, a couple of years back. I mean, but how is Bo Davis? I mean, happens to be the position coach for these um, individuals that we're talking about. Bo I Davis mean, what scares is, me. How is Bo Davis going to coach these guys up? I mean, you want? I always talk about being scared of Mike Tomlin. Bo Davis this week coaching these dudes up. Holy moly, man. This Bo Davis scares it, me. Whether it was yeah. his first in here or now, like if I go out to practice on the times we're allowed to go to practice, I just kind of keep my distance from the D-line. Like I don't want to get with it. I don't want to make eye contact with Bo Davis. I'll, there's some other assistants that, you know, they'll walk by and give you the head nod. I know Kyle Flood may give you the head nod or whatever. Um uh, I, I'm staying as far away from Bo Davis as I can. It's just anybody riding this crazy enough uh, during, you know, fall camp, quote, air quotes, fall camp, to just go sweatshirt, like full-on sweatshirt in Austin, Texas in the middle of the afternoon, that's that's probably a guy you don't want to meet in a dark alley because they, <laughs> they've got some – there's some kind of survival instinct that they have that that not – not, not a lot of dudes. <laughs> well, and, and remember, this game is in the dark. This game is in it's the in dark. dark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, F, hey, F Planet Alabama. I mean, who who the hell who the hell gets nervous or intimidated going to Tuscaloosa when when you've got Ames when you have to go to Jack Trice Stadium? Oh. Nobody walks into Jack Trice Stadium just expecting to win a football game. Maybe yeah. you do that in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, but not Jack Trice Stadium in Ames, by God, Iowa. Dark. Speaking of speaking of Mickey Mouse stuff, I mentioned the Mickey Mouse conference that is the Big Twelve, and I I will uh, hey hang on a sec, Rodney, hold on, this is live uh, live broadcasting, folks. You got you got a puppy out there? Yeah, oh man, I get that all the time, man. I, yeah, my fourteen year old dog is is, yeah. Yeah. is barking, so I, I don't totally know what, get it, man. She probably totally saw, saw a squirrel outside. Yep. Um, I mentioned this Big 12. It's a Mickey Mouse conference, and I cannot wait for Texas to be done with this league. Have you heard the latest controversy, Rodney? Because I, I had to call my buddy Chris Dukes, a uh, great friend of mine. He's a college football editor at, at CBS right before we came on. And I said, Chris, I said, explain to me this Big 12 tiebreaker change Oh, like, I'm five, year, like I'm five years old. I said, explain it to me like I'm five years old. So it turns out my, my initial perception of it was right. 
So you go back to the Texas OU fiasco in 2008, right? When they were trying to figure out that tiebreaker. Same with the yep. Big 12. Like, it's, it's a tiebreaker. It shouldn't be this hard, guys. So that tiebreaker was well, they made the rule change to if it's a three-way tie, you look at at the time, you looked at BCS rankings, eliminated the lowest ranked team, and then you went to head-to-head. Okay, so there's that. What the Big 12 did, and they didn't do this a year ago when they made the schedule. They did this now. Yeah, it was like yesterday, wasn't it? To say, okay, head-to-head is out because you didn't play a round-robin schedule. Again, you've had a year to get ready for this. Now they're saying, okay, we're throwing the head-to-head stuff is out. Now we're looking at common opponents. So if Kansas State... Oklahoma and Oklahoma State all end up in the three-way tie. Under the old rule, which up until this morning, I assumed was still the tiebreaker rule, Kansas State would be going to the Big 12 championship game. Again, this is assuming Texas wins out and it's a three-way tie for the second spot. Right. But now with the rule change, well, I guess the Big 12 just decided, hey, we might want to do something about our tiebreaker policy. Now it's Oklahoma State that would be going. So yeah. I was trying to just figure out, okay, when I got a, was scrolling Twitter this morning, I was like, why are K-State fans just livid? Why are they so pissed off at the Big 12? I'm like, first off, welcome to the club. Everybody spent a healthy amount of time being pissed off at the Big 12. Yeah. But this is this is the kind of slappy level stuff that always happens in this conference. It doesn't matter who the commissioner is, who quote-unquote is running the league, and the Big 12, the Big 12 just continues to do Big 12 stuff. They can't get out of their own way. And I'm so glad that really for only a few more months and only a couple more sports do Texas fans have to deal with this crap and where you can go on to the SEC, a league that actually from for all from, from all the perception that I understand it to be has their stuff together, understands what they're doing, understands how to run a legitimate college football conference and a legitimate athletic conference in the year 2023, 2024, we're so glad when Texas is done with the Big 12. And, you know, Jeff, when I saw that this morning, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, okay, are, are they doing things to, to uh, that won't benefit Texas or Oklahoma? But depending how this shakes out, I mean, assuming that it that it plays out the way that, that we're talking about right here, man, the your, your, your members that will continue to be in your conference, they're the ones that's going to get jacked up. Yeah. Right. And it's like, oh, okay, you're thinking about moving forward. You're trying to piss Texas and Oklahoma out the door. Good luck. Go have fun over there. But man, you're kind of crapping on some of your member schools that are still going to be a part of your organization right here. Under that scenario, you're going to screw K State. Well, I'll be honest, Rodney. K State plays Kansas this week. I don't know what Jason Bean's availability is going to be for that game. But if KU had a healthy Jason Bean, I would pick Kansas to win that football game. Same. Because just on the eye test, having seen both of them, and granted, I it was a great win for Texas. Don't get me wrong, but Jason Bean found out he was starting that game about five minutes before kickoff. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I thought just athletically on the hoof, Kansas looked like a better football team. And not to say that the Texas K State game would have gotten that out of hand, but if Texas doesn't just start turning the football over. Texas probably it's probably that game definitely doesn't go to overtime and Texas probably wins it by a couple scores. Mm-hmm. So I just think looking at it 
just as objectively as I can, I think Kansas is a is a better looking, more athletic football team. And again, a healthy Jason Bean, I would pick Kansas to win that football game. But now that they're down to the third string quarterback, uh, if Bean doesn't play, it's probably going to be K-State. But, you know, the problem is, Rodney, usually when you start talking about that kind of stuff, you start getting consumed with tiebreakers and this thing happening this year, that's usually around the time, and then fans can do that. But if that stuff starts happening internally, that's usually about the time you start losing the game. That's right. That was my problem with Texas with the Houston game. When I started hearing stuff from – Hey, we're going to hold this guy out unless it's an emergency. Then we'll probably play him, and then this guy will let him play. But then once we get a lead, we'll you know, we pull him out. I'm like, dude, that's that's like borderline like disrespecting the opponent. You're taking your eye off the ball, and that's when you you can screw around and lose a football game. So I don't know. It, it would be ironic if just K State ended up losing this weekend anyway. And you know, I, I really, obviously, you know, for the purposes of you know the interest of of my business and my bottom line, I want Texas to win out. Yeah. But I, I I really wish there could be a way for for the general public to get a Texas Oklahoma Big Twelve championship game, oh, because man. no matter no matter who he has to present the trophy to, Brett Yormark's going to wake up pissed off that morning, just pissed oh. off at the world. And I would love nothing more than for that to be the case. That dude, if he has to do that, Jeff, that dude is going to have the shits for a week, <laughs> you know, knowing that he has to go do that. And, and the yes, nervous groups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, speaking of that, I mean, not that this causes that, but after our conversation yesterday, right here on it's only an hour, I had folks reaching out to me telling me where the McRibs are, my friend. Yeah, TV reached out. I mean, the yeah, it's it's a real deal, brother. It's back. McRib season. McRib, it's McRib season, and it's a little Debbie Christmas tree cake season. Mm-hmm. It's the best time yeah. of the year. Yeah, it's the best Good time stuff. of the year. Um, so Rodney, let's get to, to before. Uh, Iowa State offensive lineman popped off and, yeah. you know, said what he said. Again, I like the trash talk. I just think, hey, you, you feel free to talk trash. It's good. But understand that you can say whatever you want. But the, the in the court of public opinion, you, you can be, yeah, yeah, you can, you have to be responsible for the things you say. And if people want to call right. you a dumbass and, you know, if your quarterback is not, uh, is not too happy with you, which I don't imagine Rocco Beck is, that's fair game. But before all that, Anybody that listens to uh, the Longhorn Blitz podcast with myself, Matt Butler, and Rod Babers, that came that dropped this morning. Uh, in terms of an upset alert for Texas and just a nervous feeling, I was at about an eight. Yeah. For some reason, I'm feeling better about the game after hearing the trash talk go down. We recorded that episode yesterday before that video came out. I was at about an eight. I'm probably right now at about a probably a six on the upset alert, just because. Iowa State style of play, they're, you know, you look offensively, they're in the bottom two or three, two, three, four teams in the conference in just about every statistical category. Yeah. The the two where they're not, red zone and time of possession. They're in the top mm-hmm. half of the league. So that tells you they want to sustain drives. They, they, they feel comfortable playing you in a phone booth in a compressed field down in the red zone. So it, for Texas, the fact that we've seen this defense give up some chunk yardage plays, and granted, I don't think Iowa State has a personnel on the perimeter that TCU does, but the fact that you've seen this Texas defense give up some chunk yardage plays, uh, if you allow Iowa State to sustain drives, to bleed some clock, you're going to limit your offense's possessions, and this is an offense that has to play really clean football 
and you don't have your closer. You don't have Jonathan Brooks at this point. That's really what concerns me for a team that they haven't had a problem finding a way to win games, but for a team that's had problems closing out games, the fact that you don't have your closer is a really big concern. My thing, Rodney, and and I'll get your thoughts on this, when when Quinn Ewers got hurt and it was going to be Malik Murphy for a few weeks, I said at the time, I said, I I hope this brings out the best in Sark, right? Because he's going to have to really get creative, use the weapons around Malik Murphy, figure out as efficient, safe ways as possible to get them the football and let them be effective. So from a creativity standpoint, I said, maybe this brings out the best in Sark. And again, I think this is a situation where without Jonathan Brooks, maybe this again brings out the best in Sark where you don't get so caught up in, okay, now we've got to go close this game out. we got to you know run the football. Maybe the best way you close a game out, Rodney, is just continuing to play football. Just run your base offense. Just do what you've been doing the whole game. Don't worry about trying to trying to chip away on the opponent and trying to pound them into submission. Just go do what you do. Just go run your offense and let Quinn Ewers go win that game for you. Yeah, you know, Jeff, I was talking about that in the last hour to me to to where I mean that, that really is a great theory to use. I mean, just keep just keep doing what you do well. And and I'm right there with you when when Quinn went down, you know, obviously going to Malik and and you know, I think folks need to give I know Malik is now Quinn is back. Folks need to continue to give Malik just just a little bit of rope right there because the dude was thrust into situations and yeah. he took your team. He he he's two and zero. Oh. That's the bottom line. But the one thing was where I did feel really good or better in that situation is exactly what you're saying. It had been established that Jonathan Brooks behind that offensive line was going to be able to guy uh, be able to be the guy that could chew up the clock, that could stretch this ball game out and let you continue to do what the offense is, is capable of doing. Now with that dude gone, and this is not saying that Cedric Baxter is not going to be able to do that or or Blue or, or whatever the case is, but now I am more concerned because that that is such a pivotal piece being mm-hmm. Jonathan Brooks to where not not that yours isn't but it's like okay th- th- this is this is a whole different this is the bell cow this is the bell cow and this is where I hope that we're going to find out you know CJ Baxter was supposed to be the starter we talked about that I hope we're about to find out why um he seems to be healthy it seems like um and, it, and now, you know, I kept saying this is Malik's team. Well, it's yours team at this point. But, man, C.J. Baxter and Blue, man, they're, they're going to have an integral part in the dark on top of that. In the dark. Now with all this other shit going on, it's, uh, it's only going to enhance all that stuff. You know, my concern there has nothing to do with the other backs Texas has because – you know, maybe C.J. Baxter gets better with some carries. You know, maybe he's just not ready, at least what the eye test has shown. And I know he's been hurt. He's been trying to recover from that foot injury he had in the Alabama game. Probably just not ready to be the feature back yet. But And and we've seen, you know, Jaden Blue, and, and Baxter certainly flashed. We've seen it from Blue. We've even seen it from Savion Red. We know what Keelan Robinson brings to the table as a change of pace guy. My big concern is with the offensive line. I just think this offensive line is just way too inconsistent to think that, hey, man, it's just going to be next man up, plug in the next back and go. Because what Jonathan Brooks was really good at, what he got really good at, was one of the things that made B. John Robinson as effective as he was. Jonathan Brooks was getting to the point, Rodney, where he could maximize runs. In other words, that thing didn't have to be blocked perfectly 
for Jonathan Brooks to get positive yards. If it's blocked to get stopped at the line of scrimmage or maybe a yard, he can go get you two or three. Yeah. If it's blocked for four or five, he can get you, you know, six or seven and, and so on and so forth. So the, the ability of a, of a running back to maximize runs when your offensive line is kind of hit or miss, that was so huge for this team. And when I think about these running backs, I don't know if any of those guys – I wouldn't count on any if they are, if they prove to be that kind of guy, great. But I wouldn't count on any of these guys being at that point to where they can be that kind of back that's yeah. able to maximize runs. Like if you look at it right now, Jonathan Brooks, and these are gonna be his final numbers for the year. He is currently, according to looking at pro football focus, fifth in the country right now at missed tackles forced. 63 missed tackles forced. Uh, that's again, that's 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 elite level stuff. And actually, the only back in the power five that has more that's for uh forced more missed tackles by the opposing defense is actually a kid from our neck of the woods, Taj Brooks at Tech, the the, the Mainer grad. Uh, Taj Brooks leads the country with 77. So Jonathan Brooks got to be to that point where he could maximize runs. I always like a back that can maximize runs. I just don't know if any of those guys are there yet. And with as as up and down as this offensive line has been, especially like they're not they're not good in short yardage. They're just not. Like we haven't seen it yet this year. Uh, they're about average to below average, below average to average in short yardage. They just are. It's just what that's just what the the eye test tells you. What the results tell you. So that's my big concern is when you do run the football. I think Sark has to be really creative. Like go back and look at the Jonathan Brooks touchdown run, the first one in the TCU game, where. It's a zone play, but you've got both tight ends on the move. There's a lot of eye candy at the snap, uh, and it's an easier path for the running back. You're taking some of the burden off the offensive line. And the reason why Sark has to do that is you can't count your quarterback as an extra hat in the run game that the defense has to deal with. Right. We've seen Quinn Ewers be able to scramble for yards. Quinn is athletic. like He can get yards. He, he, can, he can get positive things going on the ground when he has to. But you're not designing quarterback powers and quarterback counters for Quinn Ewers. So that's, that's just a hat the defense doesn't have to account for in run situations. So, again, I hope this brings out the best in Sark where we see him get more creative. And we brought this up yesterday, Rodney. Uh, it's it's time to – I think he's healthy at this point. I think it's time for you to try as best you can to unleash Jatavian Sanders. Absolutely. Figure out what that cat can do. You know, Absolutely. He's, he's the best tight end in the country, not named Brock Bowers. Use that cat. Figure out how he can most impact the game and go let him do it. One of the things that I saw that you guys were talking about, and, and it was a it was a conversation about about C.J. Baxter as well at Horns Two Four Seven uh, on one of the message boards on the message board. Um, I think that the, it is going to be key right now that I mean, obviously with the lack of Jonathan Brooks and, and the running game, whatever's going to become of all of that right there, uh, the championship attitude that you guys were talking about of A.D. Mitchell, because this has been a guy that that has stepped up, and we're we're really starting to see that championship. Uh, the the dude's been there. I mean, the dude's been there, and and he's been through these situations. And man, we are seeing him stepping up. I mean, Malik Murphy. I mean, the, Ad Mitchell, in my opinion, was like the best friend this dude could have ever had with uh, saving his ass in so many different scenarios right here. But you know, we we can talk about the running game, but you still have yours. Yours is a week better right now. Obviously, man, you, you gotta get you gotta get JT involved right here. But Ad Mitchell, man, I think is a dude where he is going to be imperative imperative the rest of the run right here. And from everything I've heard, he hasn't been a guy that's that came in. I was like, well, this is how we did it in Georgia. Right. This is how Coach Smart right. did it. This is how this is what we did, you know, on Thursdays in Athens or whatever. 
he's come in and, you know, some, I think Kelvin Banks was talking about it yesterday or on Monday. And he's been a, uh, Mitchell's been a pretty positive guy and just kind of more of a lead by example type guy. Like, I, I think everybody, I think too, the honesty with AD Mitchell, like when he came to Texas, he could have stayed at Georgia another year and, and would have been in the same place, but he came to Texas one to be closer to family. Now, everybody knows by now he, he's got a daughter in, in yep. Missouri city. So he wanted to be closer to family, but two play on Sark's offense, maximize your value for the NFL draft and help Texas win some football games. That, it, that's it. There's no, there's no, there is no ulterior motive. He, you know, the motives out front, like this is why AD Mitchell's here. And so I think their guys respect the fact that uh, he's, he's been honest about what his, personal intentions are for being in Texas, but also the fact that he's come in, like I said, and and been a positive voice in terms of just showing everybody by example, how to work. This is what it looks like to put in a championship effort effort and practice on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. And he said after the game, uh, you know, when he was talking about, you know, making those clutch plays that Texas has made and, and how do you develop that kind of that, I hate the term clutch gene, but for lack of a better term, let's just use it right here. How do you develop that? And he's like, that's not something you develop. You just get on Saturday. That's something you develop on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's when that stuff is developed. So again, this is a guy that's got a couple of, that's got a national championship and, and really understands the two national championships and understands what it takes to get there. So yeah, he's been, he's been a great addition. And you know, uh, it, it's funny we talked about it before the season, Rodney. Like, what what were probably A.D. Mitchell's goals? And you figure, man, he'll probably, you know, if he can do something like catch, you know, catch him around 50 balls, 10 touchdowns, yeah. uh, you know, he'll probably put himself in a, a pretty good position to be an NFL-type guy. And now you look up and you look at the stats through 10 games with, with two. And keep in mind, bowl stats, and you know, if they get to the Big 12 Championship game, those stats will count too. Where is A.D. Mitchell at right now? A.D. Mitchell's at 40 catches and nine touchdowns. So he's almost right at that area where you yeah. figured he probably needed to be to put himself in the best position possible as far as the draft is concerned. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. Friends, before we dive in any further, want to tell you about uh, the great, I mean, great partner of ours, Texas-owned company, Great Blue Heron Furniture, custom leather company, started back in 1991, focusing on heavy leathers, hides, and fabrics, ranging from traditional Western to modern farmhouses. And man, I got to tell you, this is some beautiful stuff. And it's also the highest quality that you're going to find. You cannot, you will not find anything more stylish, more comfortable, or better built. And that's so important. Don't go buy this junky stuff like I always talk about. I go buy these things at the box stores. I put it all together and I've got 10 bolts left and I'm like, okay, I'm going to fall on my ass because uh, I have obviously done something wrong here. There's a link right here in the YouTube video. You can uh, hit that description right there. It'll take you to our Texas Unfiltered collection. Use the promo code HOOKEM. You're getting 15% off of your purchase and you'll also get yourself one of those uh, really cool lids uh, courtesy of Last Stand Hats. If you're looking for furniture that looks amazing and is built to last for decades, not weeks, not months, not days, decades, only one place to look. Great Blue Heron Furniture. Hit that link or call them at 866-247-9688. Jeff, talk about, the, I mentioned the freshman quarterback. That, well, that let me say this. I'm, I'm going to be in the market for some of that blue hair furniture here before dude, too long because uh, we need leathers in the house, Rodney, because I found out again this morning my daughter wanted a rabbit, so we got her a rabbit. And thank, uh, God, for, thank God for leather furniture because the rabbit decided he was just so warm and comfortable 
this morning that he decided he was just going to go ahead and pee on the couch. So, oh, great. Thank, good, thank goodness for leather cushions. Well, I always laugh because, you know, when I do those reads, I'm like, this is a leather chair that I sit in. Yeah. And you can tell how custom made it is. Piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, I will say, talk about this freshman quarterback. Um, I, I know that Texas, uh, in the early part of the year, uh, I mean, you mentioned Bean right there, uh, a couple of different guys there, Texas, uh, you know, getting to take on backup quarterbacks. This is a freshman quarterback right here, but I think this one's a little bit different right here because he's probably pissed off at his offensive lineman right now, like you mentioned. <laughs> but, 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 but I think this dude right here, uh, he's pretty damn good. He's pretty damn good. Yeah, and Rocco Becht, he's got some pedigree too. Um, you know, his dad Anthony Becht played in the NFL. Yep. Uh, was a, actually, I think Anthony Becht, if I'm remembering right, was a first round draft pick at one point. Uh, yeah, Retcher yeah. for it was tied in out of West Virginia, played in the NFL many years. Uh, but you know, he's over 2,000 yards on the season, 15 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Uh, you know, completing 62. percent I, I always remember. Uh, Major Applewhite always said this. He says, if a quarterback, you know, for completion percentage, if a quarterback is in like kind of the, you know, 62, 63, somewhere around there, kind of as the bottom where you'd want your quarterback to be completion percentage wise, you're probably doing all right. And that's where Rocco Beck is right now. Um, he can run, not a, a dynamic, not a guy that they're going to, you know, design a bunch of stuff for, uh, but you know, can run if he has to. But, uh, you know, they don't. They don't ask him to do a whole lot just because they don't ask their offense in general to do a whole lot. Pretty much what Matt Campbell has, has asked yep. this offense to do is they just don't lose us the football game. And you see that's why Iowa State, they're top 10 in the country in turnover margin. And you look at their defense, they're tied for second, tied for third in the Big 12 in takeaways. Actually, I think they're tied for second. They're tied, Texas is tied with them. They, them and the Texas – Iowa State defense and the Texas defense have the same number of takeaways this yep. year. Uh, but why is Iowa State – one of the one of the best in the country in turnover margin. They don't really turn it over that much. Uh, you know the seven interceptions. That's that's coming games, Roddy. I mean, Iowa State had some games, especially earlier in the year, where one they weren't playing well, and two there were some games where uh, they got themselves they got themselves in a bind and got behind. Um, you know the game they lost to Ohio, not Ohio State, Ohio U. Uh, Rocco Beck threw two picks. That fifty to twenty loss I was talking about to Oklahoma. Uh, he threw yeah. two picks in that game. So seven interceptions. Four of them came in those two losses. Uh, also had one uh, in their loss to Iowa. So uh, all that said, he had one in their loss to Kansas uh, in Ames. By the way, playing in the dark in Ames was not too difficult for Jason Bean and the Kansas Jayhawks. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They didn't fear going to Jack Trice Stadium in the dark. So, but Texas, it's going to be a problem for Texas. Trust me, it will be a problem for Texas, according to Iowa State. Offensive lineman, Kimmy Ray. I just can't get over that. But no, Rocco Beck is a good quarterback, done a much better job than I thought he would. I thought when they when they lost Hunter Deckers to to the gambling stuff, I was like, dude, they are they are so screwed. Uh I don't know how they're gonna move the football, but and they're not great, but Rocco Beck has done a really good job managing that offense. And I'll say this too, Nathan Shieldhouse, their offensive coordinator. He's going to be one of those guys that a couple years from now, you're going to hear about him probably getting some kind of group of five job. Like he's, he was a dynamic recruiter for them. And now as their offensive coordinator, again, he's made, he has made chicken salad out of, you know, what this year with that offense. Yeah. And you know, the thing that, that I've seen with Rocco Beck to me, it's like, I mean, this isn't a quarterback that you think about and and you're going to think about Jalen Milrow or think about, you know, mm-hmm. these guys as, as that running threat right there. But it really seems like, 
if he's got to get out of that passing window, if he's got to get outside, that, that he has the ability to do it. And and that's yeah. something I, I think that Texas needs to be prepared for because, I mean, you never know with Matt Campbell and this bunch. Maybe they well, designed that into the game plan. You know, the book is out on Texas, on the Texas defense. If you're going to move the ball on Texas, the book is out on how to do it. Yep. If you're throwing the football, you want to run, you want to utilize bunch formations yep. as much as you can. Yep. Uh, you want to try to utilize switch routes as much as you can in breaking routes, uh, you know, preferably two-man routes because this secondary hasn't done a very good job at, at passing guys off and recognizing routes. So you that's how you want to move the football against Texas to the air. On the ground, it's going to have to be non-traditional run game. You're going to have to use misdirection and kind of use their speed, their aggressiveness to your advantage. And the other part of the, um, the, the non-traditional run game is, you know, Dylan Gabriel's not a big runner either, but – I say credit Jeff Levy for in that Oklahoma game. They just started – I don't even think they were called quarterback draws, Rodney. I think they were just telling him at some point, hey, man, if, you gotta if, go. if, if, yeah. cover, if coverage drops yeah. and you see nothing but grass, just pull it down and go. Don't try go. to don't try to thread the needle in there somewhere and risk turning the football over. Just go. So that's probably the kind of stuff that I can see Iowa State doing with Rocco Becht on Saturday. Uh, but it's going to be – it's going to be so huge. They Iowa State doesn't have the same kind of offense – that, that TCU did where you've got the weapons to maybe on like a third, your third and long, so where you can convert some of those. The Iowa State offense isn't built like that. So if yeah. you're Texas, you want to win on early downs, get them behind the chains, put them in third and seven plus. And then at that point, your defense, which by the way, I don't know if anybody realizes this, realize Texas leads the big 12 in sacks. Turn your defensive line loose on their offensive line on surefire passing downs. That's, there's nothing better for a defensive lineman than when it's third and third and seven, third and nine, third and 13, where you just put your hand in the dirt, pin your ears back, and get up the field and get after the quarterback. And don't so, you think, Jeff, that that's one of the things that, that it seems like to me where, where you've gotten into these games to where folks are, are, are you know, making up a 20-point deficit or 27-point deficit, deficit, whatever the case is right there, that, that, that you are kind of reeling these guys back a little bit. You're, well, you're kind of turning that stuff off. It seems I, like. I, I thought they did in the TCU game for sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. and and Sark, Sark even mentioned it. You could tell they were just it just didn't look like the same defense in the first half from just how it was called. My my thing with Texas, and I, I look at two of the comebacks were the same. One was different. The one that sticks out like a sore thumb that was different was the Kansas State game, yeah. which you just you just put your defense on way too many short fields, mostly out of turnovers. Uh, you know. As a matter of fact, do I still have? Hang on a sec, Rodney. I, I see. Do I still have this pulled up? I thought I had the drive chart from the K State game. Yes, I do actually have it pulled up. This is these are K State's touchdown drives. Okay, four plays, forty-two yards, forty-one seconds. Uh, two plays, twelve yards, fifteen seconds. One play, thirty-two yards, seven seconds. Only one of their touchdown drives was a sustained drive. And yeah. all of those touchdown drives I just mentioned, three of those touchdown drives were in plus territory. So you just did a really bad job. When it was two turnovers and a block punt. So your own shortcomings put your defense on short fields to have to defend, and you can only ask a defense to do that so much. So the, K, the K-State game, you can kind of explain it that way. The problem you got into is you kind of fell into a trap a little bit in the Houston and the TCU game where – you know, Dana Holgerson's the kind of coach, if you tell him, hey, man, they're going to shut down the run, he he, he won't care. Dana mm-hmm. Holgerson doesn't care. Dana Holgerson, in terms of how he'll call a football game, he's 
of the Leach disciples, he's he's the closest to Mike Leach just in terms of man. I, I don't care if I got to throw it eighty times to win a ball game. I'll, I'll throw it eighty times. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you look at Sonny Dykes and now with Kendall Bryles bringing in some of those veer and shoot principles. Texas not pulling away from either of those teams. And again, some of that uh, the Houston game, I, I really think it goes back to that fake field goal. You know, Sark yep. left, left the door open in Houston. Yep. Houston got a shot of momentum right before the half and took advantage. Uh, but then the TCU game, kind of the inability to put them away there. TCU and Houston didn't have to stop running their base offense. They never had to, they never had to go to like a plan B or here's something that, you know, if we're down, we have to save this. They were just running their offense. And at some point we saw it with Donovan Smith. We saw it with Josh Hoover in the in the TCU game. You let the quarterbacks get comfortable, and especially, you know, we saw it with, with Dana Holgerson. And, and, and Don, it was a little bit different because Donovan Smith's a veteran quarterback, so he when he gets comfortable, gets in a rhythm, that's not a place you want to be. But for, T, for the TCU game, I think it was a little different because, yes, you had a younger quarterback, but I think the nature of that Kendall Bryles offense, if you look at the Bryles family, that veer and shoot offense, if you let them get a couple of first downs, yeah. and now they're they're in their what they would call their green tempo, and they're yeah. boom, 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 going, yeah. going, going. It it is a machine that's really really hard to stop. Exactly, Jeff. And I was just talking to Wags about that right before you came on. It really seems like in these situations, what what the Texas defense play calling, whatever, what what has happened in these situations is you lit that offense. In this case, with that veer right there with TCU, Houston, you allow them to get into their rhythm. And when they yeah. get into their rhythm, I mean, then your defense is on the field and a great defense. I mean, we can talk about this front all we want. Secondary, maybe a little suspect. That that, that does kind of concern me this week. But that's really what happens right here is you let these teams get into a rhythm and, man, they're going to put you on their heels. And um, that's been the problem. That's been the problem in these comebacks that we've watched these last few weeks. Especially in offense, you know, that, that again, that Browse family veer and shoot no offense that, that no they doubt. ran at Baylor and that Kendall, Kendall still running. So fast. Yep. It, it's fast, but the passing game, it's all it all it's all predicated on vertical routes. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can you can stem and you can have option routes off of the vertical stuff. That's what makes like the end breaking routes so tough to defend. Uh, because you know, you gotta respect them going vertically and then boom, he's snapping it off and you know, 12 or 15 yards and, and, and with an end cut and, and he's wide open. But at the same time, I don't I don't think anybody should count on it just suddenly getting fixed. Like if it does, great. But I don't think if you see Texas give up some, you know, like a 12-yard end cut on the first drive, I don't think you should be shocked or be like, oh, man, what's going on with the defense? Because that's just what they do. And I think the big issue for me, Rodney, I just don't think this safety group You've got a mishmash of Keaton Crawford's not having a great year. Jaron Thompson's not having a great year. Michael Taft is probably the one guy that you trust to be in the right place. He's fallen but, into but the right he, place. But can That's he exactly make the play? Right. Yeah. Uh, and and, and Derek, Derek Williams is 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 a, is, a, is a pup. So it just hasn't seen a ton of it. So you kind of got this weird mix at the safety position. And I don't know if it's a lot when I – the one that really just jumped out at me, the play that really jumped out at me, like I saw Keaton Crawford get lost in coverage a couple times, but that that's happened in several games this year. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm disparaging Keaton Crawford. I'm just lo- looking at what I'm seeing during the game. Everybody's watching the same game I am. But there was the the in-breaking route that Savion Williams caught for the touchdown the other night where Michael Taft is the safety on that, and he sees it. Mm-hmm. 
It's like he recognizes it, but like you're standing three yards deep in the end zone and you're late to come up on him. I'm like, dude, if you run, you recognize it. Go, go to it. Yeah. Like I, but instead, like you're hesitant and and now you're getting to that deal where, okay, is it the guys aren't trusting their instincts? Is that a lack of confidence? Is it, you know, they're not understanding the technique they're supposed to be playing. Like something is amiss that that it's not going to get fixed this year. This is a problem that yeah. that gets fixed, you know, during the winter and during spring ball. But that's the kind of stuff that you're like, is it is it guys just now are hesitant on, as Sark would say, shooting their gun, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. Or, or is it just just a lack of confidence that they're just unsure? I don't know what it is, but you're just not you're not getting what you need out of that safety group right now. The corners. The corners have struggled, but the corners at least, at least that corner group can make enough plays at times to make up for some of the mistakes. You're just not getting enough plays made from that safety group. Well, and you know, I've said it, Jeff. You know, from 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 the from the the middle section, from the second section, from the linebackers, to where a lot of times the line, you know, when when you start getting beat up over the middle, it's like the linebackers start to bite and then don't get back into coverage. And I think that that's something that we've seen as well. But, but I mean, it, it's more in the secondary there. But and, and again, like you said, I mean, th- this is something you can't fix in the middle of the season. I mean, you can you can coach it. You can tell them this, but yeah. you're, you're not going to fix it. You're I, I not think the, fix it. Yeah, I think I think it's twofold right there. I think one with, with the uh, with the linebacker problem. I, I think it's just it's another it's another data point to show you how tough it is in football today at all levels. Rodney, you see enough high school games to know this. It's so hard to play off-ball linebacker in football today. It's yeah. you you got to be able to cover like a safety, but you still got to be able to run and hit. You're like asked to do a step. lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're asked to do so much as an off-ball linebacker. And I think for Texas, and this is where I'll say the TCU game was a little bit different with Houston and with Kansas State. You had to respect the run threat of the quarterback. I think they respected it too much against Houston, where it's one of those deals. Probably Sark, if Sark listened to it, he's like, man, if I'd have known then what I know now, probably would have, yeah. PK too, probably would have been like, yeah, probably would have called that game different. But Dana Holgerson said, Texas has the two best defensive tackles in the country. I'd be stupid to run Donovan Smith up in there trying to get yards up the middle against yeah. their tackles. We weren't going to do it. So Texas, I think, just respected the quarterback run too much against Houston. But yeah. at the same time, against K-State, you had to respect the quarterback run because Will Howard can run the football. And mm-hmm. the quarterback run game with Colin Klein calling that offense. Quarterback run game is a big part of what K-State does. But against TCU, what you're protecting against is, again, most of your shots are going to be vertical, and then they'll it'll break off from there. But what you're protecting against is the veer and shoot. The nature of it is they want to stretch you vertically, but with their alignment, with their splits, they want to stretch you horizontally mm-hmm. and open up the middle of the field. Like Sterling Gilbert runs that veer and shoot. Think about Texas in 2016. One of the common questions that I always heard asked to Sterling Gilbert, why don't you throw the ball over the middle? Why don't you right. throw the ball over the middle? Why don't you throw the ball over the middle? Well, if you're Sterling Gilbert, what's a what's a better way to generate explosive plays? Is it throwing the ball to Andrew Beck or Caleb Blewett, as much as I love both of those guys? Is it throwing them the football? Or is it letting Deontay Foreman be one-on-one with a safety? I know, I know where I'm going to take my Hands chances. Down. And that's what, that's what the veer and shoot does. It opens up the middle of the field for the run game. So the Texas linebackers, that you're not protecting against the quarterback run game. You just can't overcommit one way or the other. But again, with the TCU game, I didn't think the linebackers were as much of an issue as, as it was. Man, I, I you know the safety group just had a rough day 
against TCU. Yeah. And on the other side of the field, too, I mean, Xavier Worthy wants to have the TCU game on his draft highlight reel, probably, because, man, Josh Newton's a really good corner. And Josh Newton had a really tough day chasing Xavier Worthy all over the field last Saturday. He did. He did. And, and that's what I'll say about the Iowa State secondary, man, where you talk about TJ Tampa, Bo Frailer. Yeah. They got they got some guys back there that can play. They they got some dudes that can play. They got some dudes that can play. Uh, and that's one thing there. I'm looking forward to those matchups, uh, you know, as we get into Saturday night. Hey, I do want to ask you, so uh, college football playoff comes out last night. Not a lot of movement there, uh, movement at the top. Uh, but I know a lot of folks, uh, you know, with the plight of Texas. And I also saw you guys writing about this uh, at Horns247.com. A lot of this is right now. Texas right now just needs to keep on winning football games. So much of what is going to happen right here, folks concerned about Texas being in the college football playoff. Off. It, a lot of this is out of Texas's hands right now. You just need to win ball games and let the rest of it play itself out. Yeah, that was my story this morning. Um, you know, Texas is they're still in the seventh spot, which is great. But Texas is nine and one in the top ten in the country, and we're a week away from Thanksgiving. It's a great place to be compared to there's been times where you're thinking, man, can you just win a couple games and get to a bowl game at this yeah. point? So Alamo Bowl. It's a yeah. nice place to be. God, please no, not for a really long time, mm-hmm. if ever. Sorry, San Antonio. I just I love you. Just don't want to. Hey, I love the Mexican food. I just don't want to be there for a bowl game. Yeah, the Mexican food's overrated in San Antonio, but that's another story for another day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, anytime I can dump on San Antonio. I oh know, man, I know I'm gonna fire somebody up. I'm gonna fire somebody up. Mexican food day one one day. Um, but uh, no, the uh. The CFP rankings, Texas is in a great spot, man. You're nine and one. You're you're seventh in the country. But even if you had won these games with some style points, yeah, maybe it moved. Maybe it would have moved you ahead of Oregon. And you can make the argument maybe Texas should be ahead of Oregon anyway. But until something happens with you're still left out, Washington, <laughs> yeah. and Florida State, and you know, one of Ohio State or Michigan's going to have a loss after after not this coming weekend, but the following weekend. You need a lot. You need help. You 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 need help that you haven't gotten to this point. And this is where we can start to see it. I think you start looking at this weekend, Rodney. You know, you've got that o- Oregon State. Washington goes to Corvallis on Saturday mm-hmm. play a football game. If you're Texas. If you're Texas, ideally, you would love for Oregon State to beat Washington and Oregon, and then maybe the two one of the, the two lost team wins the wins the Pac-12 title. So that way, the Pac-12 is just out of the equation. Basically, right. you want chaos in the Pac-12 if you're Texas. Yep. yep. And, and if you're Texas, the other thing that you really want to cheer for, if Louisville beats Miami on Saturday, Louisville's in the, in the ACC championship game against Florida State. You got to root for Louisville really hard. Championship weekend again, assuming yep. Texas takes care of their business, uh, and that's the good thing about the Big Twelve Championship game being in the morning. Like if you win that thing in the morning, then you got the rest of the day to figure out. Okay, let's see you where all this is going to fall within yep. the next twenty four hours before Selection Sunday. So you gotta you gotta root really hard against Oregon. You gotta root really hard against Washington, and you gotta root really hard against Florida State. And then yep. you know pick whoever you want to win that Michigan or Ohio State game because one of those teams will be you'll be out of it at that point. Yep. Yeah, and I, yeah. I do think though, Rodney, the, the 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 thing that I think Texas fans and, and rightfully you, you can't look too far down the road, but if you're a Texas fan, you're right to be paranoid. Going going back to 2008, thinking, man, are we are we gonna be right there and gonna get left out again? Because I'm telling you, 
fair or not, if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, yep, they're they're leapfrogging you. I'm just you're you're getting jumped. Yeah, we're getting jumped. I ain't saying it's right. I ain't saying I agree with it, but that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and that's really what it goes back to. I mean, it's going to go back to the that all over again. Um, and Sark's going to have to come back Brown and try to plead the case if that's uh, what's going to happen. Oh, I, I can I tell you what, I cannot wait to be – if Texas wins the Big 12 championship, if Texas gets to Arlington wins the Big 12 championship game, I cannot wait to be in that post-game press conference. I cannot wait yeah. to be in that Texas locker room. Oh, because at that point, Rodney, with the trophy in hand and, and yep. you're a 12-1 you're and one Power 5 champ, the stump speeches begin at that point. That's right. That's right. That's that's where you start talking the talk right there. That's where you turn into Ric Flair is what you do um, at that point. Midday show is more, I, was thinking, I was thinking more Teddy Roosevelt, but uh, Teddy, okay. well, yeah, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, that, that's good. Yeah, same same difference. Same difference. <laughs> hey, don't forget uh, tomorrow, Jeff, myself, uh, BK, Bucky, Wags. We're all going to be out in Hutto. Uh, at the brand new academy, uh, come on out and see us. Uh, is that tomorrow? Yes, today's Wednesday. From eight to one, you'll want to come out. Uh, live broadcast right there with Texas Sports Unfiltered. And of course, speaking of Hutto, uh, Covert Ford and Chevrolet in Hutto, Covert B Cave, three state of the art dealerships, everything that you're looking for right there. New and pre-owned vehicles. CovertBCave.com. Daily special or weekly specials right there with Covert B Cave. They're going to set you up, get yourself into a brand new family truckster. Um, those three state of the art dealerships out there in beautiful B Caves, Buicks, GMCs, Cadillac, Chrysler's, Dodge, Jeeps, and Rams. Everything that you were looking for right there. But come see us out in Hutto. Uh, I'm taking a couple of little Debbies there for uh, my man Jeff and for Bucky. Uh, we're going to do a little Debbie toast out there with our, our double pies. Uh, so we'll be doing that. Uh, Academy gift cards that will be given away as well. Um, all kinds of cool stuff. Hey, Jeff, I do want to ask you this before uh, we cut out of here. Um, did you see uh, the Houston Sports Hall of Fame? Warren Moon heading in there uh, to, the, the Houston, to the Houston Sports Hall of Fame? The Houston Sports Hall of Fame. Warren Don't know how he isn't in there yet. Yeah, what the hell it took so long? Yeah. Uh, isn't that weird? Uh, I saw that, and I'm like, I was having to check the date stamp. I'm, I'm like, okay, was this like the 2000? So well, I'm like, yeah, uh, Warren Moon's been retired for a minute, fellas. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't think he's been doing too much. Yeah, no. I, <laughs> I think he got in some legal trouble there at some point. But uh, uh, other than that, I, I think he's been pretty quiet. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, hey, I love the uh, the football life documentaries that NFL yeah. Network does. I'll tell you, one of the more fascinating ones, they did one on the 93 Oilers. Oh, dude. Oh, my goodness. That was... Uh, it is in the DVR. It yeah. is in the DVR. I mean, it, everything. Baby Gate, the the Jeff Alm uh, suicide. Uh, Death, yeah. Yeah, the the Buddy Ryan, Kelvin, Kevin Gilbride <laughs> sideline conversation, like the whole thing. You're like, dude. It's amazing they got as far as they did, which is once you unearth and all the guys were talking about, like, yeah, we were a mess. We were dysfunctional. God, what? I mean, I'll tell you, man, that is like, I mean, dysfunctional family is one thing, but holy smoke. And, and, and you know, the bad thing is, Jeff, all the potential that that team had. I mean, everything was right there. And you talk about just, just letting opportunities get away. Mike, that, that would have been the Oilers and Cowboys Super Bowl. That should have been that year. But you know what? Like the 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 Cowboys got it a little bit later. Man, that Oilers team once a salary cap hit, that thing was gutted. Gutted. Yep. Yep. 
And out of Houston, they went shortly thereafter uh, with uh, our man Bud Adams. Jeez Louise, that's a that's a whole different discussion. All right, let's bring in. There's the man right there, BK. Um, are you solo on the midday today, Jeff? Are you hanging out? What's going? Because Trey's stuck over there in the Formula One mess over there in Las Vegas. I think we're uh, we're rolling solo today. But nice. before you guys depart, I do want to show you something, and I want to oh. get y'all's thoughts on. I uh, I actually I'll hang out for a little bit, uh, BK. You are more than welcome to, and would love to have you, Jeff. But Sweet. no no obligation. Well then, Rodney, I guess before you leave, you've got to see okay. this as well. Uh, you just mentioned it. Trey is out right now. He'll be back with us on Friday. He is in Vegas celebrating a friend's birthday party. But he also won $7,000 out there in Vegas because of a uh, bet he placed before the start of the MLB season. I think everybody knows by now Trey had me place 100 bucks on the Rangers to win the World Series plus 7000 The Rangers obviously won two weeks ago tonight. Not that I've been keeping track of that. Uh, but here is a, a tweet that our man Trey Elling Third just posted within the last hour, and I'd love to get y'all's reaction to this. The caption reads, Yesterday I cashed a $100 bet made back in March on the Rangers winning the World Series at 70-1 to odds. This is what that feeling tastes like. What is that? And it's a yeah. picture of Trey sticking a, I don't know, a popsicle? Uh... Mm. Hot dog on a stick. Hey, I mean, I don't know what it is, but he's sticking something in his mouth, and it he looks, looks furry. Whatever he's sticking in his mouth looks kind of furry to me. Oh, you calling? Yeah. You're calling yeah. Trey a furry, Jeff? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that the people that are in the, in the yiffing and whatnot? And his and his I, eyes. I saw that on an episode of my CSI Miami one time. His eyes are rolled back on top of that. Yeah, like, it's, that's a. That's uh that's quite a disturbing image that I don't yeah, I'm not gonna be able to unsee right at this point. Yeah, it uh it looks like he's done that before, you know. It looks pretty right, experienced right, right. Yeah. whatever whatever yeah. he's doing in this photograph. Hey, so uh, do you get a cut of that? Have you uh, this picture? God, I hope not. No, no, no. Hopefully not. Hopefully you don't get any of that. No, I, I'm talking about uh, is there like a broker fee or anything for uh, placing that bet, uh said bet? Mm, yeah, Rodney Bucky and I were talking about that yesterday. I, I'm not going to ask for one, but I do wonder if I deserve one because I'm the guy who placed the bet for Trey, and I'm the guy who even asked Trey if he wanted to place the bet in the first place. So oh shit, I didn't know that part. Wow. I feel like I feel like he might owe me a cut, right? Finder's fee, bro. Yeah, yeah. But he's going to bring can't. you a lollipop. He's going to bring you one of those lollipops. Is what uh, you I got Longhorn Bear says that's a urinal cake with a toothpick. <laughs> I gotta go, guys. Am I wrong? Like, does it, it looks fuzzy? Whatever he's putting in his mouth looks fuzzy to me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, Rodney. See you later, I brother. Examine this thing a little closer.